0: The views and opinions expressed in the Youth Move Nevada podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the views of all statewide family networks nor Youth Move National. This podcast does not provide legal or medical advice and is intended for informational and support purposes only. All statements and opinions provided in this podcast are not
1: meant to malign anyone or anything. Welcome back to the Youth MOVE Nevada podcast. In case you are a first time listener, my name is Riley Harris and I am a youth mentor for Youth MOVE Nevada and I use he, him pronouns.
2: I'm Grayson Whitehorn and I'm a Youth MOVE facilitator. My pronouns are they, them.
0: And hi, I'm Daniel Leal. I'm the Youth MOVE facilitator and
1: my pronouns are he and him. So you know who we are. Now here's a little bit of background about Youth MOVE Nevada and what we do. We are a youth-inspired and youth-led organization that encourages and empowers our youth peers to unite together to engage with systems that serve them. We recognize the power of lived experience, and we're also a strengths-based bridge to improving support services for youth and by youth through our shared experience and expertise.
2: Let's get started.
1: So we'll just go ahead and get right into the topic today. I kind of want to talk a bit about what ADHD is, kind of how it interacts with day-to-day life, things like that, and I think. A really great way to just start us off is with a sort of plain definition of what ADHD is.
2: Yeah, so the definition, uh, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, is it's a developmental disorder associated with an ongoing pattern of inattention, hyperactivity, and or impulsivity. Symptoms of ADHD can interfere with daily activities and relationships, and it typically begins in childhood and can continue into the teen years and adulthood.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of plain language right there. So I sort of want to dissect that, you know, inattention, hyperactivity and impulsivity, like what, what do those mean? What does that feel like? And to help us have this discussion today, we actually have a guest on here, Jackie Harris, better known as being my mom, but also a professional therapist and kind of an expert in this sort of stuff. So yeah, thank you for joining us.
0: Yeah. Hey guys, I'll I'll introduce myself just a little bit. As Riley said, my name is Jackie Harris. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed alcohol and drug counselor. I've actually been in the field for 37 years. I started out the first 15 years working in early childhood mental health. And I would have to say that back then I was a student and I wanted to work with children and kids have always been my passion. That was the first time that I was exposed to what ADHD even was. So you kind of asked a little bit about what inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity is about. Obviously, inattention is the difficulty for a person to sustain their attention. One of the first places that we often start to kind of ask if ADHD is maybe occurring with somebody is when they start school. Because when kids go to school, obviously, they need to sit and focus and pay attention. And so that can be one of the first places that you start to see inattention. And it particularly happens when we're required to pay attention to something that might not be as interesting to us. So I've worked with kids where the parents might say, well, I don't think ADHD is happening with my child because they can sit and play video games for a long time. And it's like, well you know, they, they might really like those video games and video games are often very active and very stimulating visually. And you see a lot of things and there's a lot going on. And so, but how do they do when they're having to sit in class and listen to a teacher, you know, hyperactivity is something that you actually notice quite, you become quite aware of it. It's, you watch the person have difficulty sitting still or, There's a lot of body movements or, you know, they may, like I've had kids in my office, even in my private practice, where they'll start fidgeting with maybe a toy or something in my office and pretty soon it's broken because they're just, their intensity with it, you know, is something that is stronger than most people. And impulsivity is when we have a hard time with, you know, kind of pausing or stopping our behavior. Often kids or even adults with ADHD, they see something, they want it, they get it. So there's often not that thought before the action. So those are kind of the, the different sort of things, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good definition of all of that. Just as the resident ADHDer of the youth movers, I'm combined type, which means I experience a little bit of the inattention and a little bit, mostly inattention and then some a little bit of the hyperactivity. But what it looks like for me is just like you were saying is that if it's something that I'm interested in, sure, I can like pay attention to it for a good amount of time. But if it's something I'm not interested in, then it's a uphill battle the entire time. And even stuff that I am interested in, I will often like switch between multiple things. Like I'll have a YouTube video and then I'll switch back to a movie that I'm watching on Netflix and then I'll switch to playing a video game all within the span of like an hour and it's frankly a little bit exhausting but that that's what the inattention can kind of look like it's like a hard yes. time regulating it
0: yes yeah for sure that makes that makes a lot of sense and and i appreciate how you said that it looks different in different people and and that's the thing that's so important to keep in mind is that you know when we talk about adhd But there is the ADHD, it's Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, and there are two types. There is the inattentive type, where it's primarily occurring inside the person. You don't typically see it on the outside. And then there's the hyperactive impulsive type, which you can visually see with somebody, like describing the I had a middle schooler who every time he came in my office, he had to have something in his hands. He was fidgeting. He was moving around. He would be, you could just see it on him. Um, Whereas some other folks, it's very internal. So somebody on the outside is not going to necessarily pick up on it.
1: I think that's a very interesting way of sort of looking at it, sort of, you know, internal versus external. And, you know, sometimes as they can be combined, like Grayson was saying, something else that was on my mind that kind of got brought up is some of these symptoms at their most extreme sound like they can be kind of inconvenient at best and, you know, outright detrimental to sort of living your life. And I guess I kind of want to focus on that for a moment, like your day-to-day living and, and maintaining relationships and getting the things that need to be done, done. What does that kind of look like with ADHD and what are some things people can do to help with that?
0: Well, I really appreciate you focusing on that because as a marriage and family therapist, we're often looking at the relationships between people. So I'd like to kind of focus a little bit on different settings. We talked a little bit about the school setting. Again, that's often the first place where it starts to be identified because the child who has ADHD, even in kindergarten, most kindergartners, it's kind of like, you know, wrangling monkeys or, you know, trying to run a, a circus with all kindergartners. But as the, the weeks and months of school exposure go on, the majority of children will start to be able to sit, be able to listen to a story, be able to stay in their seat, be able to finish their work, whereas the child with ADHD will not And the challenge is, is that if there isn't identification and treatment, what often happens is the child with ADHD will begin to miss out on skills that are necessary to master things like reading or arithmetic or, you know, like uh, up until third grade, you're learning to read and then fourth grade on you're reading to learn. So if the child is not able to pay attention and focus and do all those things, they're going to definitely have trouble with that. In the home setting, it can cause a tremendous amount of challenges for the young person and as well as their family. It may be a situation where as a child gets older, you should be able to say, you know, like I used to do with you, Riley, hey, go get ready for school. And you knew what that implied. That meant, I've got to eat my breakfast. I've got to go get my clothes on. I've got to grab my backpack. i got to make sure everything's in there. And the older a child gets, the less a parent should need to break down those directions. The challenges for a child with ADHD, because of being distracted, you may say, go get ready for school. And five minutes later, you find the kid in their room playing with the toy. And the parent's like, I told you to, you know. So I work a lot with parents in the importance of breaking directions down, following up to make sure that the child is still on task. And of course, using positive reinforcement for, oh, that's awesome. Look at you, you picked out your clothes. You know, oh, that's great. You got your books in your backpack. And then of course, in the community, it can be a challenge as well. If the young person or child is involved in extracurricular activities, or things like that they could be most likely to have difficulty playing on a team or may not be able to follow through on, you know, directions, or even may be bullying because they're not quote unquote fitting in. I don't know if
1: Grayson or Daniel, if either of you have any like lived experience you want to share. I have never gotten diagnosed,
0: but I noticed, you know, in this conversation that I have to have a list of what to do or else I will get lost. Like I'll start focusing on one thing. And at the end of the day, I won't finish. What's supposed to start? What are ways that we can look at that could help us, tools or stuff like that? Well, Daniel, I, I love the fact that you said lists because that is a wonderful way, obviously, to help stay on task. I think one of the other things is routine, keeping things very much the same. If a, a child with... ADHD is being raised in a home that might lean toward being less organized or um, parents who may have ADHD themselves. It's going to be a little bit more difficult for them to follow through. The other thing is to reduce distractions. I always tell parents, please don't give your kids some directions and with the TV going, Or, you know, a lot of pets running around or all kinds of, you know, stuff like that. Try to make it, let me turn off the TV. Let me, you know, get the pets or the other siblings out of the room, get eye contact and say, okay, I need you to go whatever it is xyz and again the other part is following up to make sure that the child or the youth is is staying on task and then using positive reinforcement when they do versus saying go clean your room which is so generic so being more specific obviously is better and then checking up to make sure they're they're following through
2: yeah i would really agree with the routine part and sometimes list has to be also the way i approach things because you know there's the aspect of inattention and there's the aspect of the executive dysfunction of i don't know which step comes first and i don't know which how to execute the first step i would say another thing for me when it comes to daily life and relationships something i didn't realize until i was starting to get diagnosed is that I like will sit when I'm having a conversation and just want the person to talk faster because I know what they're going to say. And I'm afraid I'm going to forget what I'm going to say. So you have to just concentrate so hard on what you're trying to remember. And then it's like, oh, I'm just going to finish what you're saying so I can start. And I didn't realize that was an ADHD thing, but it is indeed an ADHD thing. Another thing that I struggle with sometimes is a lot of times in relationships, you kind of if you don't see someone for a while or like you're not reminded they exist for a while you kind of forget almost that they exist like it's kind of like a object permanence thing for adhd people you're not right in front of me i forget that i have a relationship with you that i need to maintain kind of thing i would say those are my biggest <laughs> one struggles with with relationships that's,
1: that's so funny because i feel like i can relate to a lot of those things but on the reverse side my my fiance is adhd and there are definitely times where if she has a thought and she doesn't get it out that very second, she will forget it. And it always kind of tickles me because like, I'll remember she had something to say and a little bit will go by. I'm like, okay, so what was that thing you were going to say? And she just kind of stares at me blankly for a second. It's like, well, now I don't remember.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious watching ADHD people trying to communicate with each other because it's just oh, yes because yes. it's just like word clouds of whatever's scattered in our head at the moment. And kind of going back to school, I would like to say that I went undiagnosed for a really long time. Like I didn't get diagnosed until the last couple of years. And the thing is, there's unfortunately like a bigger population of people assigned female at birth that go undiagnosed or are diagnosed later in life because. We learned to do this thing called masking where we kind of sacrifice a lot of our mental health in order to fit in socially, in order to do the things that we need to do. So basically what that looked like for me is every major project in school, you bet, believe I was doing it the night before, sometimes the morning of because that was the only way I could generate enough motivation and kind of follow through to finish it. (laughs) I couldn't break it out into multiple pieces and work on it throughout the months as it was intended. I had to do it all the night before that's what it looked like for me.
1: Yeah. I and again I, I, I love that you're kind of sharing this because there's so many different ways that ADHD can represent itself in a person. Like again, my my fiance also assigned female at birth. Like she never struggled with school. She's very focused at work. It's when she's home that like she'll misplace things constantly or she'll get super focused on a project and you know, I, I walk into the kitchen five minutes later and the entire thing looks like an explosion on off or something. Like it, it's very interesting the different ways that it, it manifests in people.
0: And I, I appreciate the, the conversation about the differences in gender with a ADHD. It is more likely that individuals who are assigned female at birth are going to be the inattentive type and individuals who are assigned male at birth are going to be diagnosed as a hyperactive impulsive type. And some of that can be attributed to the way that males, male and female children are socialized. It is much more socially acceptable for males to act out, to be aggressive, to have that sort of physical presence versus females. And it's also true that females assigned at birth are less likely to be diagnosed until later and more likely to have it all happening internally versus externally. Yep.
2: (laughs) That checks out. (laughs) I would, I'll put a stamp on that. I think we've touched pretty much Everything except for, I know, like, especially when I was getting into middle school and high school and stuff was getting like, there was more projects, there was more responsibilities and stuff. But I mistook a lot of what I was experiencing, like, you know, procrastinating everything and like struggling to pay attention or hear things in class. I was mistaking a lot of that for depression. And like, when I went to see a therapist at the time, she's like, yeah, that sounds like a lot like depression. And I kind of would just like to ask you, Jack, what is the like main difference between ADHD and depression? Because I know it's something that people mistake a lot for the two.
0: I definitely appreciate you bringing this up. The challenge in our field is that I, I wish uh, maybe someday we'll get to the point where we can, you know, do a blood test or a DNA swab and go, hey, Jackie, you are 30% ADHD, 20% depression, and a whole bunch of anxiety. That would probably be me, actually, in all honesty, but I wish we were there, but we're not. The, the challenge is, is that we, we are literally in a situation where we take, obviously, a person's self-report, we take what we observe, and then we take what the what the family or other um, significant people, sometimes teachers, et cetera, in their life are saying, and then we we try to come up with a diagnosis. And it's true, Grace, and I appreciate that anxiety and depression in particular can look a lot like ADHD. The other thing, I am a trauma-informed therapist, which means I specialize a lot trauma work I work with people who have been through traumatic events is that people, including young people who have been through traumatic events, can absolutely look just like ADHD. So some of it, what you want to look at is what, you know, first of all, being a trauma-informed therapist, you want to get a good history and understand if there this behavior was going on and before a traumatic event or only happened after a traumatic event, because then I would be more likely to say it's related to the trauma. When you look at depression, what you want to look at is, and anxiety, again, is these sort of symptoms over time. And frequently, there are times that you will have issues with schoolwork, but it won't be that consistent difficulty paying attention. And the other thing to remember is that folks can have more than one diagnosis, So it's not uncommon for a person with ADHD to also experience anxiety and depression because their ADHD symptoms are making it difficult for them in life. So we got to be very careful with the diagnosis. We have to not over or under diagnose it. And we also have to look at it across time and across multiple settings. Riley, I hope it's okay if I share something about your history. Please. So my dear Riley, when Riley started kindergarten, he was already done with school. In fact, I think he announced to me that he didn't see a need to go back because he already knew everything. So when it came to about fourth grade, Riley was struggling very much with doing in class work and homework. And I had one of his teachers say to me, I think that your son is ADHD, you should have him go get tested. It was good that I knew what ADHD looked like because I flat out said to the person, no, he's not, but yes, we should probably go get him tested because something's going on. Through testing, we figured out learning disabilities, some other stuff going on. And he is our our wonderful Riley that he is today. But the challenge is, is that because I was a parent who worked in the field and knew that it wasn't that, it's quite possible that my own child could have. Been misdiagnosed and given a course of treatment that would absolutely not have helped. And so it's super important that we just make sure that we take our time. That we don't jump to anything and that we absolutely try to figure out and know that it's okay that changes over time. But there are plenty of kids that I have seen through the years that when they were much younger, let's say early elementary school, even into middle school, that their diagnosis did look like ADHD, and that as time went on, is that as a child gets older, the diagnosis becomes more clear. I wish it wasn't that way, but it, but it is for right now. Because as, as a child gets older, they're able to better start telling us what they're experiencing inside of themselves. We can't jump inside of somebody else's body and know what it's like to be them they're the only one who knows that. And so as a young person begins to age, they're, they just get better describing what they're experiencing, which can help us discern if something is ADHD, if it's anxiety, if it's depression, or if it's, you know, other types of diagnoses that might be present.
1: So I'm really glad that you talked about some of the difficulties that can come with diagnosing and Also speaking about like comorbidities without getting too deep in the weeds into that topic, because those are some things I I specifically wanted to touch on. And I, I think you really hit the perfect level of, you know, getting it out there without getting bogged down in like all the super fine details i guess just kind of one last question that i have and this is sort of for the group at large like how can we collectively as a society make spaces and events and gatherings more friendly and accessible to people diagnosed with adhd
2: even if you don't like subtitles on movies on movie hangouts (laughs) just put the subtitles on there's a high rate You know speaking of comorbidity of auditory processing issues with adhd and i know that some people don't like subtitles like just put subtitles on i'm begging you for your adhd and other auditory processing and and deaf and hard of hearing friends like just do it yes Yes.
1: subtitles subtitles are a very big thing in my house and i kind of personally want to add on top of that um
0: yeah I, i think first of all grayson you're let's let's ask the community let's ask the folks that we need to listen to their voices and we need to say what is it going to what is going to make a situation a classroom a home more user friendly more convenient i think the other thing that is a challenge is that in society we are not always kind i think we need to ask folks that uh, parents uh, of young children, as well as people who are diagnosed themselves. I think the other challenge is that a tremendous amount of places and spaces are very, they they are so distracting. They are so too much light, too much noise, too much color, too much everything. And part of that is, I, I mean, particularly in, I always think of stores and things like that. It's marketing. They're doing it on purpose because the more distracted we are the more we're going to spend. So I think what is needed to make spaces friendly and accessible can be the exact opposite of what companies and places want. Go go not on Saturday mornings when it's crowded but go on off hours or take a look at just some sort of alternatives that might be less stimulus overload and also balance those things. Know that if you do an activity that might include a tremendous amount of stimulus overload, then you need to either go home or go to somewhere where there is less stimuli so that like the brain can sort of rest.
1: Yeah, I think resting your brain is important for everyone and especially when your brain kind of is firing on all cylinders all the time. So. I think that's a perfect way to close this out. I mean, thank you again for joining us and sharing your expertise. I think there's a lot of very specific technical stuff that I don't know if all of us could have spoken to as well as you did. And yeah, we just really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you, Youth Move. I appreciate you folks. You guys are amazing and do a wonderful job in our community. So thank you so much.
1: You're just saying that because I asked you.
0: No, I'm joking. (laughs) And of
1: course, thank you again for listening to the newest episode of the Youth Move Nevada podcast. We hope you join us for the next one. Um, As always, follow us on social media at Youth Move NV on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We love interacting with all of you there. And we will catch you next time. Bye.
0: The theme music used in this podcast
1: was created by Youth Move Nevada member T.J. Stevens of Falanchi Entertainment.